Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, June 22nd. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Nearly 120,000 people have died from the coronavirus in the United States as several states break new records for confirmed cases. President Trump at a rally in Tulsa over the weekend claiming he told officials to, quote, slow the testing down. White House officials now scrambling to address the fallout. And protests erupting after the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department shot and killed an 18-year-old Latino man. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with the latest on the coronavirus pandemic in the U.S. Cases rising in 23 states, spiking to record numbers in states like Florida and Arizona. This as young people in the South and West are increasingly testing positive and experts warn that the virus could spread, quote, like a forest fire through summer and fall. Lorraine Caceres has much more. 12 states reporting record new cases over the weekend. Florida reaching a new alarming number of coronavirus cases on Saturday, 4,049 testing positive in just 24 hours. 52% of those under the age of 35. A new model showing the state could become the country's next epicenter. This chart of Miami showing projective cases exploding into July. The mayor of Miami actually spotted at one of three restaurants closed for violating safety measures in that city, his office saying in a statement. The mayor had dinner at a table with three other individuals in compliance with city and county policies. He is doing everything he can to responsibly support small local businesses. While the mayor is not a law enforcement officer, he strongly encourages all businesses and citizens to abide by the policies that have been established to protect our residents. Meanwhile, after claiming the rise in numbers was due to more testing, Governor Ron DeSantis now acknowledging that community transmission is increasing. That's an indication, uh, certainly in that age group, that you're seeing more transmission in the community. It's not purely just a function of the fact that they're testing more. In Texas, investigators found crowded scenes like these at a dozen bars in Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Austin, temporarily suspending their alcohol permits and forcing the businesses to limit capacity and enforce social distancing. Some cities like Dallas requiring face coverings, violators risking up to a $500 fine. In the Houston area, local officials are pleading with people to put politics aside when it comes to covering up. The idea is not to politicize, to express faux outrage, to try and have a minute in the limelight. Let's work together. The evidence is clear. Face coverings prevent the spread of the disease. Masks are also a must in Phoenix, Arizona. It's the city's response to a massive jump in COVID cases across the state, breaking numbers nearly every day last week. The CDC is getting ready to soon update the guidance on wearing masks, clarifying if they protect from contracting or spreading the virus. This as experts warn, the first wave is far from over and we might not even see a slowdown in cases before the next outbreak. I don't think we're going to see one, two and three waves. I think we're going to just see uh, one very, very difficult yeah. forest fire of cases. 
Meanwhile, reopening is moving forward in other parts of the country where the spread is so far under control. D.C. and New York City starting phase two today. And of course, all eyes will be closely watching New York City in particular to see if cases increase and how the spread evolves there. In Miami, Lorraine Caceres, U News. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. We need to continue being very careful. In other news, lawmakers in Congress are expecting to hear from former U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Berman, who, according to Attorney General William Barr, President Trump fired. Berman had served in the Southern District of New York, where he investigated several Trump associates. Also over the weekend, President Trump holding his first campaign rally since the pandemic hit. While he promised a packed house, it was quite a different scene out there. We begin, we begin our campaign. President Trump back on the campaign trail, kicking off in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are residents of Adamsville, Alabama, and um, we heard our president was going to be here. And as again, we're patriots, we're going to support our president. But it was a bumpy start. The Trump campaign said they received more than a million ticket requests. However, inside the arena, plenty of empty seats. The campaign blamed the lower-than-expected turnout on protests in the area. Others say it could have also been due to the uptick in coronavirus cases. Oklahoma alone has seen a 121% spike from last week. The Trump campaign now confirming six staffers working on the rally tested positive and were sent home. At the rally, masks were handed out but not required to be worn. The president downplaying the risk. When you test, when you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people, you're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. Former VP Joe Biden reacting on Twitter, writing, speed up the testing. The president later addressing the recent protests and growing calls nationwide to remove Confederate statues, calling those that support the idea the left-wing mob. They want to demolish our heritage so they can impose their new oppressive regime in its place. They want to defund and dissolve our police departments. Think of that. He did not speak about healing. He did not recognize any of the racial tensions that are happening across our country. Meanwhile, turmoil in the Justice Department. On Saturday morning, one of the nation's top federal prosecutors, Jeffrey Berman, walked into his Manhattan office vowing to keep working. I'm just here to do my job. This came after Attorney General Bill Barr issued a surprise statement Friday announcing Berman had resigned, but Berman refused to do so. Then by late Saturday afternoon, Berman was fired, Trump saying that this was Barr's call. I don't get involved. I just don't get involved. But the president has to sign a document or I guess give it the okay. The now former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York had already sent the president's former fixer, Michael Cohen, to prison and had been investigating his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, for months. All this comes as the Trump administration is actively removing government employees who have investigated or prosecuted Trump officials. Democrats are now calling for an investigation into Berman's firing. The real unanswered question here is why did the president and Mr. Barr do it? No reason was given why Mr. Berman was fired. Berman is a registered Republican and also a Trump donor. He was appointed by the Trump administration and left only after being assured his office was in the hands of his deputy, Audrey Strauss, promising she and the staff would protect 
the district's integrity and independence. Joining me now is Chris Liu. He's a former Obama senior White House aide and is now a senior fellow at University of Virginia's Miller Center. Chris, welcome once again to U News. So the Tulsa rally fell short of expectations for the president's reelection campaign. Talk to us about the president's vulnerabilities going into November. Well, I think the lack of people at the rally suggests that the enthusiasm for the president's reelection may not be what it is or what he thinks it is. But I think the broader issue is, you know, the, the rationale of holding a rally with what they hope are going to be 19,000 people in the middle of a pandemic in a state where the cases are rising. And let's also not forget the president is heading to Phoenix uh, tomorrow to do another big event, another state where these uh, cases are rising. And so, look, he's going to insist on doing this, but it sets a particularly bad example for the rest of the country as governors are increasingly trying to get their arms around this pandemic. It has not gone away. And the fact that the president continues to do these events where there's no masks required, where there's no social distancing, makes it very difficult to encourage other people to engage in good behavior. Now, during the almost two-hour address, the president failed to convey a message of unity as the nation continues to deal with the highest unemployment rate since the Great Depression, along with coast-to-coast -coast racial unrest. How is that playing now with those independent and moderate voters that are still basically um, not decided on who they will vote for? You know, it's troubling, but it's not surprising. I mean, this is a president who, for the past three uh, years, has basically tried to place uh, to play to a very small portion of the American people, to really his hardcore base. And it's unfortunate because this is a time where we really need a president to bring the country together, to engage in a serious conversation about the uh, systemic um, uh, racial inequities, about the treatment uh, of communities of color by police. And that's not what this president is interested in doing. He wants to demagogue, uh, he wants to race bait, and he wants to continue to divide. And I think you see that in the president's falling poll numbers, that a lot of people, not only obviously Democrats, independents, and increasingly some Republicans, are starting to get turned off by that. Meanwhile, former Vice President Joe Biden is leading in six battleground states. What's behind Biden's rising numbers right now? You know, I think what the Vice President, Vice President Biden is doing is projecting calmness, stability, competence. And I think that's really what the American people want. And we can have a whole conversation about differences in policies. But I think what people just want is a calm, stable force. And I think increasingly people are coming to the vice president because they see that they see that in him. And whatever else you think about his policies, I think there's very little doubt that he has the experience and the competence uh, to do the job. As you just mentioned, Chris, the president is heading up next to Arizona, also Wisconsin this week. They are battleground states. Do you think he's going to be able to fire up his base and regain support before the election? Well, I think he's going to try, and I think you never underestimate uh, Donald Trump. He does have a very enthusiastic base of supporters. Um, you know, this election, notwithstanding what's happening with the pandemic or what's happening with the economy, re remains close. I mean, clearly, Joe Biden has the lead right now, uh, but this is a very fluid situation. Really, the key for the president right now is to get his arms around this pandemic and try to you know, ensure that the economy reopens safely. Unfortunately, he's taking the wrong actions in doing that. And in many ways, as you see these kind of outbreaks of coronavirus around the country, it makes the continued reopening of this country, our economy, 
uh, increasingly more difficult. And I think that's going to uh, cause more of a pull down on his uh, poll numbers in the coming months. Now let's change gears a little bit to another big topic over the weekend. Let's talk about the firing of federal prosecutor Jeffrey Berman. Now Democrats are calling for an investigation into the firing. What do you think is behind Berman's firing and what can we expect to see in the next coming days? You know, it's important to understand that this was not just a typical U.S. attorney office. It's the Southern District of New York, which does most of the investigations, not only of the financial industry, uh, but of, of Donald Trump's businesses, which are all located in Manhattan. This also comes on the heels of the president removing five inspector generals, uh, who have been very vigilant in going after uh, wrongdoing by Trump administration officials, as well as the removal uh, of the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, which has also been doing critical investigations. Look, we don't know what Mr. Berman was investigating. We don't know really why Mr. Berman was removed. But we know that his office was in the center of a lot of investigations, not only of Mr. Trump, his business operations, but his associates. So it certainly raises a lot of questions. And Democrats on Capitol Hill are right to want to investigate all of this. Well, we will see what happens next. Thanks so much, Chris Liu. Always an interesting conversation with you. Former Obama senior White House aide. Take care. Thank you. Meanwhile, President Trump is expected to extend an executive order restricting new work visas. The order, which was enacted back in Always April as you. a response to the unemployment crisis precipitated by the coronavirus, could affect almost 200,000 people seeking employment in the U.S. right now. Janet Rodriguez has the very latest details from Washington, D.C. Janet, what did the president say exactly regarding this? Well, the president said that he would extend that order through the end of the year. He teased this on Fox News this weekend. However, we have yet to see that extension to that executive order at this hour. But we do hear from uh, officials at the White House that this would affect guest workers, seasonal workers that come to the U.S. And that list of who can come here would be extended to now ban some specialty skilled workers, also housekeepers, people who do landscaping, construction work, but it would still not affect agricultural workers. It would not affect student or healthcare professionals who may be willing to come to the U.S. to help with the pandemic. But however, we have yet to see, as I say, that executive order extension. So we're waiting for the president to take action so we get the complete list of people who may be affected and may not be able to come to the U.S. as easily for the next season. Janet, something else making headlines. President Trump made comments about Venezuelan interim president Juan Guaido. What did he say? Well, he said that in an interview with Axios over the weekend that he's getting cold on Guaido, that he may not have his confidence anymore. But that's not really what's making headlines. What's making headlines is what he's saying about Nicolas Maduro. In that same interview, he said that he would be open to a meeting with the president of Venezuela. And that just caused an uproar here in Washington and, of course, in South Florida. The president wanting to backtrack today in a tweet saying that, well, he would only do that in order to discuss a peaceful exit from power from Maduro and not mention the not mentioning Guaido in that tweet. However, here in Congress already, uh, well, uh, many criticism from Latin American uh, congressmen, especially Bob Menendez, who said that this may be a double politics on Venezuela. And the president, as we remember, he back in February, he brought Guaido to the White House. He brought him here to the Capitol as a guest of honor for his uh, speech of the State of the Union. 
Union. There he claimed him to be the leader, the, the actual leader of Venezuela, the president of Venezuela. So now a reversal in politics may actually be very uh, damaging to his campaign in South Florida and here in Washington. It's not playing very well because the government has spent years trying to do a maximum pressure campaign against Venezuela, much like the one in Iran to try and get a change of power. But that hasn't happened. And now it seems like the president is getting frustrated. Back to you. Thanks so much for that. Janet Rodriguez reporting from Washington, D.C. In Southern California, sheriff's deputies and protesters clashed during a demonstration in Compton Sunday over the death of an 18-year-old man who was shot and killed by sheriff's deputies. Aileen Cardet has the story. A violent turn to a peaceful protest as demonstrators face off with deputies. It began when they fired pepper balls at several protesters. Demonstrators then returning with bottles and debris, a far different scene from the start of the protest. What do we want? What do we want? Taking their demands to the street, dozens joined forces for a peaceful protest demanding justice and an end to police brutality. When will the violence end? It's who's next? Am I next? The march and rally beginning at the scene of Thursday's deadly deputy-involved shooting where 18-year-old Andres Guardado was shot six times by an L.A. County Sheriff's deputy, his father joining in the march. Uh, I say thank you, everybody, for coming here. You know, uh, I, can, I say I'm feeling very bad to talk, you know, because I don't feel really good, you know. Guardado's family say he was working security at a body shop. Investigators say he was an unlicensed security guard and was armed with an illegal weapon. According to family and friends, they say he was shot in the back as he was running from deputies. Those turning out today say the 18-year-old's death is just the latest in a long history of lives lost at the hands of law enforcement. It's super important. Um, I know a lot of people are taking this personally, um, especially, you know, folks from Compton. Um, the Compton Sheriff's Department is super deadly. This is not their uh, first shooting. Protesters demanding accountability and most importantly, change, saying the excessive use of force needs to stop. Maybe now everyone can see that new training is required and that defund the police really means let's create an organization that is really for peace. Aileen Cardet, Yunus. A ruling from a federal judge is allowing the publication of John Bolton's book. The Trump administration had tried to block it, citing national security. But the court is siding with Bolton and his publisher. Rafael Rodriguez gives us a look at the pages inside. Former national security advisor John Bolton casting President Trump as an uninformed, erratic liar. Is the president lying? Yes, he is. And it's not the first time either. Describing a commander-in-chief that foreign adversaries saw as an easy mark. Uh, I think Putin thinks he can play him like a fiddle. Uh, I think Putin is uh, smart, tough. I think he sees that uh, he's not faced with a serious adversary here. I don't think he's worried about Donald Trump and claiming Trump was all too happy to take foreign help to boost his re-election bid. Bolton's forthcoming book, The Room Where It Happened, offers this scathing summary of a Trump presidency. I am hard-pressed to identify any significant Trump decision during my tenure that wasn't driven by re-election calculations. 
Trump pressed Chinese President Xi Jinping to help him out with farmers by buying more U.S. crops, pleading with Xi to ensure he'd win. Bolton writes, I would print Trump's exact words, but the government's pre-publication review process has decided otherwise. Bolton also confirms the case House impeachment managers laid out earlier this year, writing that Trump said he would withhold security aid to Ukraine until all the Russia investigation materials related to Clinton and Biden had been turned over. And he says Trump was prone to doling out personal favors to dictators he liked. At one point, telling the Turkish president he would replace Southern District of New York prosecutors to make an investigation into a Turkish firm go away. Bolton says the pattern looked like obstruction of justice as a way of life, which we couldn't accept, and claims he raised some of his concerns with Attorney General Bill Barr. A longtime Republican who served in the Trump White House for 17 months, Bolton says deliberations there were like, quote, college food fights, and calls Trump, quote, stunningly uninformed, unsure that Britain was nuclear power and unaware that Finland was not a part of Russia. The early look at Bolton's book comes as he is locked in a bitter dispute with the U.S. Justice Department, which sued to block the book's release, claiming it contains classified material. Bolton's lawyer says the administration is trying to block the book for political reasons. Bolton writes he was forced to exclude some material that did not appear to be classified and, quote, can be only described as embarrassing to Trump. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. The coronavirus pandemic didn't stop Efrain after the restaurant where he worked closed. He and his musician buddies put wheels on his marimba and now they roam the streets of Mexico City, bringing harmony into residents' homes. We should be a parties, but we had no choice but to adapt, to realize that people are at home. So I tell them, they should bring the music, right? Efrain and his band are bringing flavor and joy to an often somber quarantine experience. And people have been responding by leaning off of their balconies and out of their windows, some even moving to the rhythm of the music. We hope that this has not affected the restaurants where we were working and that they do not close forever. We hope to go back to where we were. People throw coins and they manage to collect up to $15 a day in popular neighborhoods like La Condesa. Musicians who play the traditional organs protested weeks ago about the lack of work. They are not always welcome. Well, there have been people who have called the police on us, and then we have to move to another street. Some people say we're making noise. While in Garibaldi, the birthplace of mariachi, more than 1,600 musicians are waiting to be hired while maintaining social distancing. 
I told my colleagues not to be afraid. We're going to get through this. And look, we're almost there. The traditional sounds from the Mariachi Plaza and Garibaldi have been silent for three months. The good news now, at least for many of them, is that the plaza and the surrounding restaurants are set to reopen on June 24th. Reported by Alejandro Madrigal in Mexico City, Romina León, for U News.